Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. And Hartford AARP, the AARP auto insurance program from The Hartford. Discover great rates, benefits, and service specifically designed for AARP members at aarp.thehartford.com slash podcast. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com forward slash twip. Should you buy on or off-brand lenses, when to shoot JPEG, and market leaders Nikon and Canon widen their leads? It's Saturday, November 20th, 2010, and this is Twip. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Bruce Clark and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. So, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Bruce, you, uh, you haven't been on the show for quite a while, uh, but just, you know, just for the folks who may not have listened to you in the episode that you were on, you want to give us a quick synopsis of who you are? Sure. Well, uh, obviously, my name is Bruce. Uh, I'm a uh, photographer up here in Edmonton, Alberta, where it's not exactly sandal-wearing Hermosa Beach weather <laughs> like Ron is enjoying. Well, Winter has know, arrived here. It's not exactly sandal-wearing weather down here today either, so hopefully that makes you feel better. It's raining down here. Mm-hmm. Wow. I almost take that over minus seventeen in snow. Mm. <laughs> All right, it's it's wet. raining up here too, so you know I feel like California is getting drenched right now, but it's okay. I like it. Yeah, so yeah, so I've been uh, working with uh, working on Twip for oh boy, probably back to about Twip number forty wow. somewhere in there. Jeez, uh, back when it was just a, a little little youngster. Yeah, yeah, just when it was a young pup, and uh, working doing the show notes. So, Mr. Brinkman, what have you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? A whole lot of little stuff. Besides uh, trying to troubleshoot your computer that imploded this morning. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what this is, but my nice big Mac Pro just uh, took a dive this morning, which I'm just doing, I thought, was a simple operating system update, so I don't know, I'm clueless. Yeah. So if I sound slightly different, it's because I'm on a, a headset mic instead of a nicer microphone. Uh, well, yeah. Well, we know what you're, you'll be doing today, trying to get that thing back up and running. Yeah, I just I hate love that. spending a Saturday afternoon troubleshooting computer stuff. But at least it's raining, you know. Put some music on and troubleshoot the thing and get it back going. You'll be good. Yeah, that'll improve my mood. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, before we get started, a uh, quick nod to one of our sponsors. Uh, this Week in Photo is brought to you by the AARP Auto Insurance Program from The Hartford. Um, for our audience members over the age of 50, the AARP Auto Insurance Program will be giving you or can save you $384 off your auto insurance. Uh, more than 3 million AARP members who are already enjoying the, the, the benefits of the program, including uh, lifetime renewability, a lifetime repair guarantee, and a six-point claim guarantee. 
And some customers describe the the claims experience as, and I'm quoting, fast, easy, and outstanding. You can check them out today and get an eight-minute quote. Head over to aarp.thehartford.com slash podcast. That's aarp.thehartford.com slash podcast. Um, And, of course, we'll link to them in the show notes for this episode. All right, guys, uh, let's jump into the news. This first story, which I know on the surface doesn't seem really exciting. It's about Leica agreeing to sell, or they're going to be selling lens adapters to mount Pentax, Hasselblad, and Mamiya glass on their S2 camera. Now, unless you own one of these cameras and care about this, I think the, you know, it's, you know, whatever, but my, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. I believe that was the exact words I used before we started the show. <laughs> But some people own them, you know. But what you know, my spin is my spin is on this. Um, this is a camera manufacturer that's allowed one specific kind of high. You know, Leicas are high end, right? So um, that camera manufacturer is allowing you to mount. They're they're sanctioning the mounting of Pentax and Hasselblad and Mamiya glass on one of their camera bodies. That would be akin to Nikon saying, you know what, uh, we like that 70-200-2.8 that Canon has. It's pretty sharp, so we're going to allow you to mount that on our D3. You know, that kind of thing. Now, do you think that, will that ever happen? And I'll throw it to you first, Bruce, since I know you are, you're, a, you're an active wedding shooter and I pr- you probably live with your 70 to 200. So what, what do you, what do you think about that? I think Hermosa Beach would freeze over before that ever, uh, that ever happens. <laughs> I, especially, I don't see Canon and Nikon ever, uh, ever going that route, at least not in the near, near future. But I could see maybe some of the other camera manufacturers uh, looking at you know to do that as maybe a way to you know uh, expand their their reach and and maybe uh, appeal to other camera owners uh, who maybe already own glass of a particular brand that maybe are, are intrigued by a particular body that they put out. So I could see yeah. maybe you know a move like that. Certainly, I think here in the, in the case of Leica. It makes sense. Uh, I think with this S2 camera, I was reading a little bit about it and certainly don't own one or have any plans to purchase one in the near future. I'd rather uh, put a roof over my head than maybe buy a car. <laughs> maybe uh, eat, you know. Maybe eat, yeah. So, but, uh, you know, I think the, the, in, their, in their lineup, if I was reading the article, it on, they only had four lenses yeah. that actually would work with this particular camera. Yep. So definitely I could see, you know, and, you know, for anybody that happens to own that camera, this would be a, a big benefit to them is being able to put uh, some different glass on it and have access to different glass that they might not be able to. Yep. But yeah, I, 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 I think you don't see Nikon or Canon going that route. <laughs> no, but I think you're right. I think that's the, the, the key point there is that for some of these smaller manufacturers, uh, ha- being able to kind of leverage uh, a standard across multiple brands uh, is not a bad way to compete. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of what I was hoping the micro four-thirds and the four-thirds formats and all that would start to standardize. And I guess to an extent they have, um, but it doesn't really feel like it's as broad as you would like. And I, I, I mean, I guess I understand why some of the, you know, the non, non-Canon Nikon companies still want to have their own proprietary lens format. And there's a lot of legacy stuff there, but at some point... Has it come to that run that it's, it's, it's Nikon and Canon and then the non-Nikon Canon companies? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it pretty much has, right? I think that ties into another story that you've got listed in the notes here, which is... Yep. Uh, uh, and we can go over that in a little more detail when we get to it. But basically, yeah, I think that is the case. It's Nikon and Canon and it's everybody else, especially in the, uh, the higher-end market. And, I, you know, I'm kind of speaking out of my head. 
because I don't know market share numbers there, but it sure feels like it's, you know, the the next competitor after those two is is a third, a quarter, you know, way down the scale. Yeah. Well, yeah. what about what about this? Just to throw this out there, would where do both of you guys fall on using off-brand lenses, or not off-brand, but like non-camera manufacturer lenses on the bodies that you buy? You know, and you know, you're Bruce. You are you're a Canon shooter, I assume. And yes. you and yep. do in your camera bag right now? Are there any non-Canon lenses? Um, I at one time had a, a Sigma lens that I was shooting with. Mm-hmm. And uh, how was that? It was okay, you know. It was, a, it but was I mean, right okay. Lens. There's it, see, that's what I'm hearing. I hear that a lot. Yeah. That's that's the impression I get. Yeah, it's okay. It works. It fits on there. I get a shot, but it, not like oh my god, this was the best lens ever. I, you know, I could see DNA level detail. You know, is is it just like okay? I can't afford the, to get the real thing, so I'm going to go for this this Tamron or you know other off brand lens. Or do those manufacturers actually make viable lenses, and are they a viable alternative for say the Twip listeners? I, I think they're. I think they make some decent quality glass for sure. See there, um, there it is again. Decent. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's like it's a blind date. It's like a blind that. date. Yeah, she's got a great personality, but you know, you know come on. Is it depends is it, what you're doing with it. You know, yeah. if you're just a casual shooter. Same with the blind date, that. right? <laughs> uh, if all you're looking for is a little quick Friday night action. <laughs> It'll do, five, yeah. That lens uh, will do, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take a Sigma lens home to mom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it's true though. I mean, that's that's sort of. I think that's pretty universal in the way most people would react to it. I have I have one Sigma lens. Uh, it's the 30 millimeter 1.4. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, there it is again. <laughs> well, and more specifically, I mean, it's it doesn't focus. For me, the big thing I don't like about it is it doesn't focus nearly as fast as my Canon 50 millimeter 1.4, and yeah. I bought it because I wanted a, you know, a faster but wider lens, of you know, fast wide lens. But uh, I just find I don't, I don't know. Part of it is it's not as wide as I really would like it to be, so it ended up fitting into a range that sort of wasn't that useful to me all in all. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't own any third party lenses, but I, I, I just think from the standpoint of just just how advanced these lenses because lenses have cpus multiple cpus in them now and so do camera bodies and i'm thinking you know if my lit my camera can do all this magical stuff i don't want to i don't want to like short circuit that by putting on a lens that can't really speak in the camera's language i, yeah, want- but it's, I mean is it use it's rarely that being the issue i think it's just more of a cost issue right where these sigma lenses or you know tamron lenses or whatever they they need to come in at a price point that is significantly lower than the Canon co- counterparts before people would consider them. Before people will make that trade off of, you know, I'll, I'll go because otherwise, if it's, if the price difference isn't that great, people are just like, well, I may as well buy the. Yeah, yeah. See, that's why I want to know. I mean, I know the glass glass varies, right? Quality of glass and the 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 workmanship that goes into putting a lens together. All that stuff is infinitely variable. But when when you get down to it, as a as an artisan or as a photographer who is trying to get the best image possible and putting all this work into honing his or her craft and finding like Bruce finding clients that are you know they're going to pay you for your work and all this stuff, and then you slap you know glass on there that may not be the best glass possible it's kind of like a you know training for you know to 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 run in the olympics and then buying cheap shoes you yeah, know but at I, the end. I, don't, I, I don't know that it's necessarily fair to say that it's not the best glass possible i think it's because 
I have not really seen, you know, an across the board uh, analysis that these are inferior glasses. And in, in who wants to of- who wants to do analysis? You're a photographer. You just want to shoot. So why well, not just and, wait a couple more weeks, point. save up another couple hundred dollars, and buy yep. the I real lens? You know? Yeah. Hey, now the one ex- exception to all that is if if they make uh, a lens that you can't really get an equivalent for, and that's where you you see. I mean, the one the other. Uh, uh, Sigma lens that I bought, and I actually bought it when I was working at Apple, and we needed one in the lab. Uh, was that eight millimeter fisheye, which mm-hmm. is a great lens. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, see, maybe that I, makes sense. Specialty lenses, yeah. Right? And then so I like would, the- you know, I would totally recommend that lens. And if, you know, if I had some spare cash uh, laying around, you know, it's a, it's a fun lens. It's obviously not an extremely general purpose lens, but uh, it's a really good lens, and it's very unique, and it does exactly what it's supposed to do, and. Uh, you know, and I, I would have no hesitation to buy it, even though it doesn't have the Canon label on that. So, what did, what did that one cost, yeah. as opposed to the real the, the real one, as opposed to the can- <laughs> as well, opposed to the Canon one? I don't think there was a Canon one at that time. I don't even know if there is still an exact equivalent of that. Uh, yeah, yeah no, if this- I remember right. It's you know, it was it was a five six hundred dollar lens. Got it. I think it's at the other extreme too. Like I know that uh, Scott Bourne, for example, has a he calls it the Bigma. You know, it's yeah. that big 800 millimeter Sigma lens, and uh, uh, certainly to get the equivalent, you know, an 800 millimeter lens in a, in a Canon is, you know, you're again, you're you could buy a couple of S at Leica S2s for that. Um, so certainly, I think it makes sense in certain areas to to take a, a good look at the third party lenses and see what they have to offer, because definitely there can be a, a trade off in, in in cost. But yeah. for me personally, I I generally want to stick to the the brand that I'm shooting, and that goes to you know. Flashes to uh, to glass. I always try and stick with the Canon, the yeah. Canon product. I just I like it. I'm comfortable with it. I know that it works. Um, I'm gradually moving more and more to primes mm-hmm. as well. I'm trying to shoot more with primes. So, like if you have to own the 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 lens, I have a, I'm just trying to get my brain around the use case here. So if I if there's this really there's a specialty lens that I need because there's this one shot that I have in my head that I need to get out, but I'm not ready to plunk down. You know, three suitcases worth of money to get the lens. Yeah, I could I could plunk down one suitcase to get the, to get a a non manufacturer lens, or I could rent it for a couple yeah. <laughs> you know a couple hundred bucks, go get the shot, and send the lens back, and I'm done. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, so, some of that kind of goes to a personalized shooting style, though. If you you know if you decide that you want to be the guy that always shoots with a eight millimeter fisheye, because and that's a look you want to develop. Mm. You know, and and there are valid reasons to sort of have a portfolio portfolio that kind of has a certain type of shot in it. You know, a unique look that may include shooting always with a, a very wide lens or a fisheye lens or a very long lens or you know tilt and shift or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I can see that if it's the kind of case where it's just sort of a, a style of shooting that you want to you want to do, then you would want to buy it. We've got a we've got a. Um we got to engage the the twip army on this and see what they think i'm going to link this blog post where the show is going to be embedded i'm going to link it to the forum so at the bottom if you're listening to this on the blog scroll down to the bottom and you'll see a link down there that takes you over to the forum i would love to continue the discussion there because i know i know we're going to get flamed from some people that say hey i've been shooting with with sigma lenses forever and they're better or whatever you know so yep. I would I would love to hear that debate because you know we 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 are just opinionated here on this week in photo. <laughs> it, it would be it'd be fun to see too which 
uh, off-brand lenses, and it, it does feel like Sigma is sort of the you know the next choice most of the time. They seem to be the ones that have sort of stepped up. I know there's a couple of interesting Tamrons. Uh, I think there's a, a sort of a wide-angle zoom that seems to pop up every now and then on the Tamron side of things, mm-hmm. but it does seem to be Sigma is sort of the the uh, second choice or the you know the off-brand choice most of the time. Yeah. But yeah, I'd love to know sort of what lenses are bubbling up as being the non. Uh, Canon Nikon. Ones. Like, are, are, there, are there some some lenses that are better? You know, because I'm yeah. flicking through photo like photography magazines where they advertise these do these full beautiful full page ad advertisements for these uh, for these off brand lenses, and I'm like, mm-hmm. look at that shot. That's beautiful. You can see the you can, <laughs> you can see the strands. You can see the cells making up the hair on the <laughs> face of the model. You know. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So if if it's at that level, then it's you know it's got to be good, right? Or or what? I'm I'm interested to see, but I don't have the, I have neither the time nor the the money to do like a test. So if yeah. there, if but there's a the seventy other... to two hundred on a on a Nikon side that just came out, and a seventy two hundred on the Tamron side, and one costs say five hundred dollars more than the other, I'll just wait and and wait till I can accumulate some more money and go get the other one. Yeah, and I tend to be the same way. But you know, and the other thing that you do here, and again, I don't have any kind of uh, quantitative information to back this up, but you do hear that the sort of variability of the lenses is more, and the, and the you know the quality assurance tends to be a little bit looser on some of these third-party brands versus Canon and Nikon. But again, I can't really point to a study that says this is definitively true. All right. Well, yeah, we, we should do the same thing. Or you know, maybe every one out of a thousand Canon or Nikon lenses may may be faulty, whereas maybe you know three out of a thousand. Again, I'm just pulling numbers yeah. out of my butt, but that you know that's that's generally what I've heard as well too. Is just the quality assurance and the you know it, the, the person to ask would be we should get one of the guys from Borrow Lenses or LensRentals.com or something to come on because they're the ones that deal with this kind of stock in quantity and can sort of make a broader statement about these things. Yeah, totally. We should get we should get one or both of those guys on here. And I was just thinking maybe even a representative from Sigma or Tamron if you're listening, you know, yeah. give, give us a shout and it would be good to have you on to uh Walk to into discuss, the lion's den. Walk into the lion's den. Tell us why. In your honor. <laughs> you know, tell the gazillions of TWIP listeners why they should be considering those lenses instead of the, the camera manufacturer. So it's a, it's a good debate. And, you know, especially now, things are so expensive. If it is viable to get one of those lenses and it makes sense to use one, and there's no drawbacks. And, in fact, there are advantages. We should know about them, right? Yep. So tell us. All right. Let's move on to story number two. Um <laughs> I'm looking at the headline. The headline for this one in the notes is when JPEG trumps raw image files. You know, and it feels like we're exhuming a body. You know, it's like we we beat this to death. What, like a year, two years ago, or whatever? About when should you shoot JPEG? And is JPEG better than raw? And is you know, when is raw better than JPEG? Because now we have a software that can handle it just as easy as JPEG. Uh, but the fact still remains. Just to you know, dig up the body again. Like I said, there are some cases where shooting raw might not be the right choice. So I want to, Bruce, I want to talk to you first about this because you are in the trenches. You are running and gunning, switching lenses on the fly, you know, throwing your body around to get that shot of the bride doing whatever. What uh, are you, are you shooting raw? And, and if so, why and why not JPEG? Yeah, I'm probably shooting raw 95% of the time. Um, and, you know, for the for the type of work that I'm doing, a lot of event and wedding 
photography. I'm also doing some commercial work as well. Oh, you know, gosh. I want to ensure that I've got the highest quality file, you know, that I can begin with. And, you know, it gives me a bit of latitude in, you know, in a little bit of wiggle room uh, with the exposure so that if I need to recover a little bit of the shadows or the highlights, I know I kind of have that uh, in, in my back pocket. You know, I'm trying to always capture it you know, in, get the proper exposure in the camera as best as I can so I don't have to rely upon that. Yeah. But it's nice to know that I do have that uh, and have that latitude. Now, there are some trade-offs, obviously, working with RAW. The, the file sizes are a lot bigger, so the processing and, and everything else takes a lot, you know, a lot longer. There's more labor involved. So the only times when I'll shoot a JPEG uh, typically would be if I'm covering an event, uh, like one year I was out uh, shooting some stuff and I had a chance to shoot at the Indy. Mm. And, you know, I was blasting frames, you know, with these, these uh, cars speeding by. And just to speed up the, the number of images that I was able to capture and the amount that I was going to have to process later on. Um, and, and this was something more where, you know, I wasn't doing a, you know, a big paid commercial job to blow these things up, you know, gigantic. So there I was shooting JPEG. Or occasionally I'll set up, uh, we'll have like a photo booth at the wedding. Oh, cool. We'll set up, you know, sort of a controlled environment with lighting and, you know, props and all that kind of stuff. And people can come in and, and you know, goof around and, and get some shots. I'll typically just set that up and, and shoot on JPEG uh, because I know I've got, you know, my lighting's controlled. And I, I mean, I have, you know, good quality, consistent results. Yep. A JPEG file is going to be fine. Uh, you know, generally, they're not going to be doing a lot with those, those files. They're not going to be blowing them up to giant canvases or anything like that. So there I'll shoot JPEG as well. But otherwise, for the most part, I'm shooting... Uh, Shooting raw, like ninety ninety five percent of the time. Yeah, that, that seems to be the consensus of most people I talk to. Ron, you're you're, I put you in the category of of advanced tr- sort of travel shooter guy out there, you know, taking pictures of waterfalls and all that kind of crazy stuff. What do you ever throw your camera into JPEG mode? Um, very rarely. Yeah, I, I was just trying to think back when the last time I did, and <laughs> um, uh, but I can I can remember what it was. It was. Uh, it was when I was traveling, and uh, this the guide that was sort of taking us around in Venezuela. He decides to climb up, off, <laughs> climb to the top of this cliff, and dive into this little tiny pool of water that we were hanging out in. <laughs> and I'm like, "Wait, I want to get a shot of this." And so I, you know, I went over to uh, continuous shooting mode and, and popped it into JPEG just so that I wouldn't, uh, you know, I could shoot as fast as possible and not worry about filling up the buffer. Kind there of thing. How did the, the shot come out? It was pretty cool, you know. It's, a, it's an interesting shot of this guy leaping off the edge. This guy was like sixty something years old, and uh, it was crazy. You know, what he was diving into this. It was like diving into a pan of water. It was really <laughs> Thre- <laughs> like, threading a needle with no with no retries, yeah. right? <laughs> oh my God, we're going to be carrying this guy out of this jungle here. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was explicitly that. It was you know make sure that you don't. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a matter of frame rate, and sometimes it's just a matter of how many. Uh, files you can fit before your buffer fills up, and then you, you know it has to dump the card, and you can't shoot anymore. And, and I think it's actually the buffer, the buffer full rate is is the bigger issue. Yeah, yeah. And the the other thing is like if you're if you're you hit it right on the head, Ron. If you're running out of space, and you're like, oh, okay, the the time left that I have to continue shooting equals three hours, and I have. You know, yeah. this much space left on the card. I'm sh- I'm switching to JPEG mode. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, can, I can squeeze some more on there. At least I come back with some images rather than nothing. Right? Yeah, although I you know I I move to bigger and bigger cards, so I tend not to run out of 
space on the card itself, but that the issue yeah, that, you know, true. that the buffer in, in the card itself, you know, there's that fast memory buffer where you shoot a raw file, it goes into the buffer, and then it gets written to the card. So there's that intermediate thing, and that's the thing that fills up. Is if you're, you know, if you're shooting really quickly, is that thing can only hold, you know, maybe seven or eight photos, depends on the camera, before it has to flush it out to the card. And if you're not, if you fill that up doing burst shooting, that's when the camera stops shooting. Yeah, having uh, I've found that having the higher the higher speed uh, UDMA cards helps yep. a bit Definitely as well helps. because then it's you know it can it can dump it from the buffer to the card a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what size cards are you guys using? Um, sixteen gigs for me, most mostly. Yeah, Rush. at least sixteen. Sixteen? Yeah. You haven't jumped up to the thirty twos yet? Uh, let's see. Actually, I believe I, I haven't. I've got about five or six sixteen gigs. And that, that is that is it is it in that amount of space is fine for you? Can you get like Bruce? Can you get two CF cards in your camera, or is it one at a time? No, I've got the five D Mark II, so it just takes the one CF card. Okay, and you find that that's enough? You're you're good to go with that. Yeah, I'm usually good to go with that. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever run into a situation where I've been uh, cramped for uh, for memory space. I've always had it, you know, wow, lots that's... of lots of cards kicking around. And I've still got a few, you know, if I ran into trouble, I've got a few, you know, probably three or four eight gig cards and a couple of four gig cards, you know, in the bottom of the bag somewhere. If I if I really ran out of space, but I've never never gotten to that point yet. So. That's interesting because we we had Jeff Cable on a while back. He's uh, the VP or senior VP of marketing. Over at Lexar. Lexar, yeah. And uh, I think we should have him back on because I have a question about because I'm at this I'm in the same point, Bruce, where the cards that I have now are big enough. So to remove that variable from their marketing mix of okay, now you can get you know because it went from what one to two to four to eight to sixteen now and to thirty two gigabyte cards, which is kind of at the limit. You know, you're not you can't fill the thirty two gig card on most events unless you're shooting video and all that stuff. So Yeah, video is the one place where I'm finding if I'm I'm starting to experiment a little bit more with video and definitely that does eat up a bit more space for sure. So that that's the final frontier for those guys is okay, you're if you're a still shooter, you're probably good at sixteen or thirty two, but if you're going video, our new one hundred and twenty eight gigabyte card is what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you know the the other situations. If you're the other time I've gotten into it is when I was on a like a five six day hike where I didn't have any place to offload the data. Uh, you know, all I had was my camera with me. I didn't have a laptop or anything to put it into. So after five or six days shooting a lot of stuff, then yes, you can <laughs> you can fill it up. Yeah. 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 But then you can buy more cards. You could just you know make sure you you plan yeah. appropriately and leave with. 10, 16 gig cards, and you should be good to go, right? Yeah, I had not planned appropriately. Yeah, see. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, they can't, you can't really, you know, fix that, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> That's on you. All right, guys, let's move on to story number three. Um, it's about Nikon and Canon. Uh, like you were talking about, Ron, earlier, they're sort of increasing their lead in digital cameras. I, I had to put this under the category of, duh, you know. <laughs> It's like saying, this just in, oxygen lets us breathe. You know, <laughs> we know Nikon and Canon, but what's the story here, I think, is Canon is leading, right? Canon is the leader in terms of, of digital camera bodies shipped, and Nikon is not that, or they're they're behind them, but they're still growing by, I think it says in this article, expected sales of 20% year over year, up to 18.25 million units. 
So, I mean, it's a lot of units that these guys are shipping. So what does that mean for everybody else? Is it is is the gap widening so much so that everybody else is an also ran? Or what do you think, Ron? Uh, for me, I think the dark horse is Sony. Uh, Sony's got such a strong brand name in the distribution channel that they could actually end up, and especially if they manage to kind of take this, the, the new market space is opening up, which is, you know, the, the so-called evil electronic viewfinder interchangeable lens marketplace. Uh, right now, you know, Canon and Nikon don't have anything in that space. And I think that's, there's a, there's a room for somebody to take over that sort of an area. But they could though. I mean, Nikon and Canon, they 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 haven't. They I think they evolve relatively slowly or slower yep. than we'd like them to. But they yep. they could say, okay, now we're going to put Evil Viewfinder on ours and and yeah, and that's certainly been the rumor for quite a while, at least on the Canon side of things, is that they have you know an Evil camera coming early next year, and you know, we'll see it. And then you know, sure, definitely. Um, Do you think we'll see that in more of the Rebel type line or the the entry level DSLRs, or will that be something they'll start in the high end uh yeah i would see it at a rebel price point kind of thing you know something that's that's in the uh between the 500 and 1000 dollar kind of a range and then you know they'll probably ship a few different bodies and the low end one will compete head-on i mean these camera manufacturers love the interchangeable lens idea obviously because that's instant incremental revenue to them and people are like okay i'll just buy one of these with the standard lens and so i can buy another one i can but you know and they get into that same thing that all of us DSLR people are sucked into. Of just one more lens, man. <laughs> yeah, just one more. I don't know, Bruce. What, what, what about you? I mean, do you, do you think? Like, I, I love I love having you on the show because you you represent like the real working wedding photographer, event photography pro. That mm-hmm. you know you you can't buy every lens that comes out. You can't you know get kind of sucked well, up could, in that you know, my wife would kick me out if I did, so. which means you can't right so, <laughs> so i mean what do you think about this i mean does it does it even matter to you that nikon and canon where they sit in the market or is it like whatever that's noise you know i just it's all about the the gear or about the the image for me and whatever these gigantic companies do on the back end you know i'll read about it read about it in the next magazine yeah well i think it, you know in anything electronics these days you know, having a monopoly, I don't think it benefits the consumer in the long run. I think it's it's great that there's you know, choice out there, yeah. and I'd like to see more you know more choice out there because that that pushes you know the leaders to continually innovate and and add things to to their cameras. I mean, it's been I guess Nikon and Canon for the last little little while, sort of trying to one up the other, uh, and you know, and it it seems in, you know in the world that I live in, a lot of uh, I was surprised when I was reading this article because it uh, it mentioned that uh, you know Canon was really enjoying a, a lot of big increases in DSLRs, whereas Nikon was uh, showing strong demand for its compact models. Mm-hmm. Which to me it feels more like there's there's more uh, Nikon DSLR shooters out there. I was just at a, a workshop with Joe McNally this past weekend, and probably part of that was the fact that Joe was a Nikon guy. <laughs> yeah, but there was, it seemed like ninety percent of the room was Nikon uh, shooters. Uh, in that particular one, but yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter too much. But I, I think it's important that there's competition out there, and that the, the Sony's of the world, and and the Olympuses, and and the other manufacturers continue to kind of come out with some of these innovations, and, and that really pushes the you know the Canons and the Nikon's to keep on their toes and keep innovating and keep uh, you know adding to their 
offerings, and that just benefits all of us. I think. Yeah, absolutely. We need them both to stay around. So on that on that workshop, yeah, Joe Joe McNally, one of my heroes, um, is a Nikon shooter, but he and he specializes or not specializes. He's very knowledgeable about the Nikon CLS or the creative lighting system, um, which is basically how the Nikon flashes talk to themselves and back to the camera body to let you do all this crazy cool stuff. So yeah, I would imagine that those folks that showed up to that workshop would be folks that want to know about that, which would make them Nikon shooters. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I was right. I mean, definitely the Nikon CLS system is, uh, I think superior to Canon at the moment. Yeah. So I think Canon needs to up its game in that, you know, I'd like to see them up their game in that area. Yeah. So the slight tangent, how was that workshop? And when, what did you learn? It was great. It was phenomenal. It was a, it was a two day workshop in Calgary last weekend and, uh, Joe came up and there was about 150 people maybe. And it was put on by uh, Capic in uh, Calgary and, uh, it was a very good, uh, very good presentation. It was mostly demonstration. So Joe went through everything from working with one single flash, uh, up until the end where he was working with, uh, you know, uh, strobes and flashes and he was doing uh, long exposure type stuff cool. uh, he brought in some dancers from the alberta ballet yeah and he's actually got some images up on his uh, on his website at uh, joe mcnally photo uh, and on his blog he put up some posts and just some amazing stuff that he was doing with these dancers jumping in the air and then he did he did a really cool one where he had them uh, sort of a long exposure and he would flash them with a strobe on one side and then he had uh, bicycle lights tied to their hands and feet mm-hmm. while they danced in the middle and then he'd flash them again at the other the other side of it and made a really neat, really neat uh, image with that. The other thing that was really cool, and I, I don't think Canons are capable of doing this, but uh, he did he did some double exposure work, mm. and uh, where he opened it up and actually took two frames uh, within one, and it did some really cool effects with that. And I don't believe you can do that on the Canon system. That's so amazing. Was, That's amazing. Hmm. I mean, Joe McNally is like I put him in that category of you know like one of the masters of light or real photographers that he can do all that magic on a single exposure. You know where. Yeah. Yeah, you can probably replicate some of that stuff by shooting a bunch of source files and bringing them into Photoshop and doing all this other stuff. But Joe, like, he does all these sketches and planning and gets everything set up and then makes the image on one single frame, which is just blows me away. I mean, and that requires uh, a huge and deep understanding of what the camera programmatically or technically is doing and what light's doing and exposure and all that magic. He's just got that like nailed. I love that. I think what was great to see though was that, that, that he is human <laughs> and, and he makes mistakes and, and it was great to, to see how he figured those problems out when he did encounter something where a piece of gear wasn't working or, you know, something wasn't firing when it should have. Um, he was, he had the pocket wizards, the beta uh, pocket wizards for the Nikon. Oh, the radio, and, the radio triggered ones. The radio of, triggers. Yeah. yeah. And they sort of worked, <laughs> but not quite the way he was hoping. And it's just to see him kind of work through that and, and break a problem down into its, you know, and, and figure it out. Uh, a lot of stuff he actually fixed with, uh, with gaffer tape, you know, where you'd get a little bit of light spill off <laughs> of the awesome. flash into the background. And you, you know, here I'm overthinking the problem is, oh, how are we going to solve this? And his, his fix was, we'll stick a couple of strips of gaffer tape on the side of the flash and boom, problem solved. So it was really neat to see, you know, see all of that and see, see how it worked. So. See, I'll, I'll share this little insight into me. When I was a kid growing up, I think I was like six or seven or something, I discovered tape. And I decided, I decided everything needed to have some tape on it. And yeah. my, my brothers and sisters gave me the nickname Mad Taper. 
So <laughs> Mad Taper Van Johnson. Yep. And today, you know, I still have a roll of tape in my camera bag. That's all I'm saying. Tape tape is magic. It was great. He, we said his next book should be the uh, Gaffer Tape Diaries. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Ron, you know, speaking of gear and that, and and toys like McNally is the master of gear. You, it's weird segue, but you just bought a toy, and I'm really jealous of it. Um, this is a this is a tool, man. Yeah, tool, toy, toy, tool. You know, it's nah, a fine line. Yeah. What? So, what is it that you bought? Share what uh, you bought it. and tell I us got, why. Yes, I got one of the new uh, the new MacBook Airs, uh, which which I quite like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, I, I got the beefy one, you know, the, the 13 inch and pretty much loaded all the way up. I, my, my sort of carry around laptop had been a MacBook, um, not even a MacBook pro, but the old 13 inch black ones, uh, which is probably getting on four years old. So that's, that's about it for a computer these days. Yeah. And, um, and I have a bigger machine at my desk too, so this is not my only one, but it's, it is the one that I tend to use a lot, you know, most of the time, because most of what I do is, is surf the web, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but this is, it's, it's a very good machine for that, but it's pretty decent, it feels fast, I got to say that, that uh, you know, solid state, solid state drives are really nice when it comes to stuff starting up, I mean, even like Photoshop, and first time I, I started it on here, and you're so used to Photoshop, you know, scrolling all the credits, it's worse than the yep. opening scene of Star Wars, where you, you know, you <laughs> A long time ago, in a lab far, far away, yeah, yeah. these Adobe engineers wrote code on this, and then you get the entire credit roll, and 10 minutes later, Photoshop finally comes up. Yep. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, these solid-state drives are just, boom, and there it is. It's, you know, it's a matter of a few seconds instead. So, I mean, it, but it just seems like, like the, the one thing that turns me, I, I don't want to say off, but kind of that pauses me is just the space. You know, I got I have a lot of stuff. Not that I need yeah. it all. I'm yeah. sure I'd have to clean my garage out. You know, but uh, do you run out of space on that? I mean, yeah, it's I. You know, I, I had to make some decisions because I went from I had been upgrading the hard drive in that little 13 inch. You know, over the years I add new ones, and uh, so I was up to 600 gigs on that, and I did get the full on. 250 gig in this so i'm not super you know super slim yeah uh but yeah you know i, I don't have I, bottom line is i just don't carry as many of my photos around with me yeah and, uh, you, and you don't have your itunes library or any of that yeah. magic on there it's yeah. just it's just There's what you some, need it's more like a net it's like a, a a netbook right so your all your stuff is either in the cloud or on drive yeah. somewhere else right well again i'd never you know i, I do have a bigger machine so i've always had that you know the bulk of my library and everything is on the the bigger machine with a drobo hooked up to it and everything. Yeah, so it's that's uh, that's the enterprise, and your MacBook Air is your little shuttlecraft. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and the other thing is that you know I use I use Dropbox uh, quite a bit, and uh, the new version of Dropbox, which is the beta test version, lets you do something called selective sync. Oh, um, which if anybody's like a real Dropbox user and, and, and is willing to try out some beta stuff. It seems really stable. But it lets you say, you know, I'm going to sync my iTunes library, but none of the classical music stuff or whatever, you know. So you can, you can get a little Ooh. bit more granularity in terms of when what you have that run. Yeah, it's been in beta for several months, but it's not. you got to go to uh, the forums, just Dropbox slash forums, I think it is. Uh, or oh, just okay. Google Dropbox forums. And at the top of the, the list of the topics is a sticky topic that is the the next release, beta release. And, uh, you know, they're doing builds every few weeks on it kind of thing. 
Uh, but it's it's very close to release. It feels like it's it's been totally stable for me. So really yeah, cool. if you, if you want to, that, that's another thing. And I haven't really done a whole lot with that yet, but I think that's going to give me the ability to just manage sort of what is on this smaller computer a little bit more. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge Dropbox fan, and I you know it's changed the way I work a lot. So I'm I didn't know about that beta. I'm going to give it a try. One yeah, of one of the negative things about Dropbox though that that I found is if you're sharing with a bunch of people, you know, like because you can do the shared folder thing and like Bruce and me or whatever, we can share files back and forth. But if I put a file in there and that's like the source of truth and Bruce isn't that adept with um, with Dropbox, for example, not to pick on you, Bruce, but <laughs> and he decides, you know, that's there, here's a new file. I'm going to put it on my desktop and so I can remember to get back to it when he drags it out of that Dropbox folder. It's gone. I mean, yeah, well, it's, yeah. And I'll admit, I did that once. You did do that once. I did. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, yeah, you did. It, it's the it's what Dropbox is. You know, you have to you have to grok that. You got to understand that Dropbox is a truly shared folder, and and whatever you do to it, it affects everybody. And if you pull something out of it, then it gets pulled out. Um, but yeah, for people that don't and and for people that don't know Dropbox, this is we've gone from talking about something that was very Mac specific, the Mac Air, to something that is cross-platform. So Dropbox works on everything, and it's just a really handy method of synchronizing between multiple computers and sharing files, too. I, I, I pay for the you know, 50 gigabyte uh, you know, yearly price, and I also pay for the unlimited history on those. You can get that, too, on Dropbox. So it, it's sort of an additional level of backup. Yeah. Yeah, I use Dropbox to distribute files sometimes to some of my commercial clients. Yeah. So I find it works great. And and how does that work with him? Like, for, or do you find that they're knowledgeable about Dropbox, or is there a learning curve where you have to say, "Okay, this is how it works. Here's a link. Go download this." That kind of thing. Most haven't had any issues so far. I can't think of anybody that's really ran into any problems with it. They found it pretty pretty straightforward. So, wow. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, we'll put a link over to that forum in the show notes for this blog post. But before we move on, I want to give another shout out to, or a nod to one of our sponsors, uh, squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. And like we've been saying over the past several episodes, they've announced social widgets that they want to make sure folks know about it. They Folks know about, they've got a native Twitter widget that allows you to add multiple accounts, filter those accounts by keyword and customize the look and feel of the design. They've got a native Flickr widget that also allows for multiple accounts. So you can bring in whatever public Flickr account you want into your website and integrate it there. And then for just native RSS feeds that you want to incorporate into your website, you can you can pull those in. And most websites on the web also have an RSS feed, so you can incorporate those where you want. So um, if you want to check out some cool examples of some squarespace.com created sites, you can head over to squarespace.com forward slash examples. They've got a bunch of them up there. Um, and uh, just go from there. Check her out. Kick the tires. If you like a free trial of squarespace.com, you can head o- just go to squarespace.com forward slash twip. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out. Build a website. And if you decide you'd like to keep that website, you can uh, get 10% off for life. And that's for life when you enter the offer code TWIP. And uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Ginter, who we had on the show a while ago, uh, a couple of episodes ago, mentioned that he helped build a site called 100 Cameras for a nonprofit organization. And um, 
that was built entirely with Squarespace. You can check that out at 100cameras.org. That's 100cameras.org. It's a uh, Squarespace site that photographers should know about. All right, guys, every week at this time, or every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com, and they look for the best questions for us to answer here on the show. And we've got a couple of good ones this week. Uh, Bruce, I'm going to throw this first one to you. You want to take it? Sure. So um, Bookshelf uh, from Northwest Florida uh, wrote that he's considering a baby DSLR for travel, and he's looking at two specific uh, Fuji cameras that have similar features and price. He's looking at the, the Fuji film, the FinePix HS10, and also the FinePix uh, S200X or EXR. And he was wondering if uh, somebody could tell uh, him what the difference is, aside from the $20 price point. Uh, he says, about the only features that would make much of a difference to me would be low light capability. Yeah. So I wasn't familiar with these two particular cameras myself, but uh, I did a little bit of researching online just to kind of dig into them a little bit. And actually, they're, they're sort of in, in a couple of intriguing things I found out about these cameras. Um, the, the HS10 has a, a pretty powerful zoom on it. It has a 30x uh, optical zoom. So I think its range was something like 30 millimeters to 750 millimeters. Uh, so that was pretty... Uh, Pretty impressive. Um, it has a 10.3 megapixel uh, CMOS sensor in it. But the one that was uh, intriguing to me was actually the S200EXR. And it has a, an interesting CCD sensor. Um, it seems to have three modes uh, depending on the shooting situation. So the way they describe it on their website is that it, uh, this, they call it a super CCD EXR sensor. Uh, it features a new arrangement of the color filter mosaic, which provides more image data than conventional arrays. So it's got a three-way capture technology. So the way I saw it is you can sort of choose between three modes. A high-resolution mode, where you want all the pixels that that thing can push out. Um, one that was a wide dynamic range. And what that appeared to do was sort of take two images, uh, sort of uh, maximizing the shadows and the highlights, and then it would combine them. So essentially doing kind of in-camera uh, tone mapping, HDR type of functionality. Um, or you could set it to a third setting, which was a high sensitivity, low noise type of setting. So just based around that and in reading some of the reviews on, on sites like dpreview.com, that that seems to be the uh, the better choice would be this S200 EXR yeah. uh, appears to be uh, you know between the two of them. And it was, again, about $20 difference on Amazon between the two of these. So yeah, so just get the get the other one, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys I, I, before heard of that sensor? Uh, yeah, I remember when it came out, and it was it. It's definitely unique. And you know, this kind of goes back to some stuff we were talking about, where some of these non-Canon Nikon brands can also start to really distinguish themselves with putting in these kind of weird, interesting features that may or may not get traction, but. Um, you know, it feels like they've got a little more room to experiment with some of these things that Canon and Nikon generally won't. So you never know; they may you might see a dark horse emerge in one of these one of these things. Very cool. I will say also for for questions like this, uh, I know when I saw the question, the first thing I did was go to DP Review, and there's a place where you can choose two cameras from a list or multiple cameras from a list of most of the cameras that are out there and do a side-by-side -side, uh, comparison where it just lists every single feature and how they compare between them. Uh, and that's really, you know, if you're trying to decide between two different cameras, uh, that's, that's absolutely the best way to do it that I, I know of is just go to DP Review and do the uh, comparison mode. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of my first stop. Um, if there's a new camera body that I'm considering, a DP review generally has a, a nauseating level of detail on yep. on whatever you want to know about that body and comparisons and from to the previous version and all that good stuff. So yeah, but it's right. I, I had to look, but it's right. You know, right at the top of DP review, there's something called buying guide, and under that sub menu, there's something that says side by side comparison. And uh, like I said, you can choose several different camera models and it'll give you just a huge list of all the features that that each one has cool all right question number two i'm going to throw over to you mr ron brinkman you want to take this one sure (laughs) this is a good question that (laughs) could spend some time on i think uh let's see bookshelf from northwest florida asks would apple consider buying a camera slash video company uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, this is not a, a question with a definitive answer. Uh, I worked for Apple for four or five years. Frederick, I know you worked there for a while, too. Yep. So having seen the, the inner workings of the company, I mean, I, you know, my my basic take on this is no. They, I can't really see them buying a standalone or creating a standalone camera so much as uh, I could see them uh, just trying to drive the iPhone-like camera's capabilities uh, as far as possible. Uh, and there's, there's all kinds of what-if scenarios you could play with this. And I, I could see them buying a company for the sake of getting the technology, perhaps, but for the most part, it just doesn't feel like it's sort of in their wheel well. Yeah. I mean, do they need to buy a camera company? Now, it seems like Apple is, is or Apple are, squarely focused on mobile and iPads and iPhones and whatever whatever else comes next and that yeah well, there, there's still a focus on Mac OS and and the pro apps and the consumer apps but it seems like it would be a divergence for them to jump into the camera video space when you couldn't dominate it cuz well, I don't see them dominating that right now I, I yeah you know that's, that tends to be what they they don't really want to do is jump into a space where they're not they can't own it, where they can't redefine it, where they can't do something really special. Yeah. I, mean, I, I saw some interview with uh, uh, Steve Wozniak where you know, he talked about they had put together an Apple, they had put together a phone many years ago, long before the iPhone came out, that uh, was based on, I think, a Nokia or a Sony platform. And he said the reason that it ended up getting, getting killed is it just wasn't unique enough. It didn't mm-hmm. redefine anything. It was just sort of a very good but equivalent kind of a uh, a phone to what was already out there yeah and that's just not the way they think you know they want to come up with a new a new market space and, and do that so yeah uh, like with the with the iphone or with the even the the first ipad it wasn't like there was or i'm sorry the first ipod there right. were no it wasn't like there were no mp3 players on the market when that thing came out it just it they looked at what other folks were doing and then did it the way they thought it should be done and boom you know lightning struck so yeah, yeah I mean, uh, the only if I had to, you know, come up with a scenario where I could see them doing it, I guess it would probably be something along the lines of they make a camera that pairs so tightly with a portable device like the iPad or the iPhone that uh, it sort of redefines what photography is in some ways. Yeah, which could be very cool. You know, I could see a scenario where you've got a really tight, tight wireless coupling with your iPhone and you've got your camera controller and uh, something like that. Uh, I could see that maybe, but. It'd be cool. I'd love to work on that project, but I think it you don't see a resurgence of the quick take camera. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you you mentioned that there was there was a camera at one point. The binocular camera, right? 
That's what it looked like. It looked like a set of binoculars. It kind of reminded me of like, if you remember Star Wars, what was it? Episode four, I think it was the first one where, yeah. uh, when Luke Skywalker was looking over the, uh, I'm geeking myself out right now. So apologies. Um, <laughs> Luke Skywalker was looking out over Tatooine and he had those like binocular things. Every time I see the quick take camera, I think about that thing that he, was, that he was yes. looking out over. With. Large and bulky. Large and bulky and sub one megapixel. Yeah. Yep. Well, the interesting one, I know that they talked a little bit about it a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was just last week, about uh, possi- you know, what would the possibility be of Apple if they bought Sony? You know, mm-hmm. And that would give them access to not just the camera uh, side of things, but what about TV and video and movie and music and you know, all that side of it as well. So that's, you know, I guess, a possibility, but I, I don't see that happening. But. Interesting. That, just the, just, you know, you, you think about that stuff, and like, Ron, when we were with Apple, I mean, can you imagine just like kind of thinking about Apple acquiring Sony? It was like... <laughs> Uh, well, just from the sta- I mean, yeah, nightmare, of course, but just from the standpoint <laughs> of it could possibly happen. Like, Apple could buy Adobe if they wanted to. They could buy, you know. Yeah. It, back then, it it was a, oh, they might merge. They could merge, but now it's like Apple could buy them with, you yeah. know, pocket change and keep going. Everybody seems to want to spend Apple's money lately. I don't know. Well, Ex- except Apple. <laughs> except <laughs> Apple, yeah. Yeah, I can't see them doing that. But, yeah, but you remember, I mean, Apple made printers for a while, too, you know? Yeah, they, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and did very well by it, I'm sure, for a while. But at some point, a printer is such a... It's a, a commodity. I mean, it's a yeah. device. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to innovate on a printer, you know. So, well, maybe you can, but, you know, I guess... Do you want to? And do you want to be in that space? Or you want to? Is there? Is that a space you can lead and change the world in? And yeah. I don't think you can change the world with a printer right now. No, no, no I had one I, of the I, first laser jets, and I remember they were about forty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And look at us now. You can go buy buy a, a photo quality printer for under a hundred dollars. Yeah. Insane. All right, guys, we're at the point on the show where each guest gives their pick of the week. Remember, this pick can be software, hardware, gear, a workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Bruce, you haven't been on the show in a while, so I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? Sure. So I had a few different things I was thinking about picking this week, but uh, I really thought this was a good pick uh, due to the timing. And this was an event that was held last year, I think, was the first time that they had it sort of worldwide, and it's the Help Portrait event. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming up here in a couple of weeks, actually, December 4th. It's Jeremy, Jeremy Coerts is Jeremy the guy Coert, behind yeah. that, right? Yeah, Yeah. so he started this up, and, and basically the idea behind it is that it's a pretty simple concept. It's find someone in need, take their picture, give it to them. And so uh, it's, it sort of uh, exploded last year, and they you know, took place in, in a number of cities kind of around the world. And, uh, again, it's happening this year again. They've uh, changed the date this year. It's a little bit earlier in December. And uh, there's a uh, great website out there. It's help-portrait.com. And, of course, we'll link over to that in the show notes. But uh, that's where, uh, you know, where I'll I'll be on December 4th is helping out with Help Portrait here in Edmonton. We've got actually three locations uh, taking place. And so I'll be... uh, Helping out with that. So it's, you know, they get everybody from makeup artists, hairstylists, uh, photographers, and assistants to come out and spread the word and get uh, people that otherwise maybe couldn't afford to get a portrait uh, taken. Uh, and then you print it kind of on site and, and hand them their portrait. So it's, uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a really good worthwhile project, particularly around this time of the year. Um, I think it's important to, you know, use our cameras for good 
And uh, so I, I really believe in this project and looking forward to uh, helping out with it this year. Very Have cool. you guys done Help Portrait? I haven't. I, you know, I missed it last year, unfortunately, and I was actually talking to Jeremy. And hopefully maybe we'll get him on the show to, to talk about it before, be before it happens. But, or at least an interview if we can do that. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like a really, really good idea you know, to yeah, definitely use your powers for good and and not self gain. It would be, you know, awesome. So basically, Bruce, you're saying the photographers go out, take a photo of somebody in need, take it back, process, make a print from it, and give it to that person. Yeah, it's different. Obviously, it ranges. You know how people are doing this here in in Edmonton, for example. There's actually going to be three different locations sort of set up. Um, one of the areas is this kind of a it's an old movie theater that's since been converted into a church, and it's a uh, Last year when they did it, they had about 20 photographers in total that set up stations all around the sort of throughout the theater. And people came in and there was coffee and food. Um, people also brought clothing donations so that if people came and maybe they didn't have, you know, a nice suit jacket or a sweater or something, they could kind of get dressed up. Um, there was hair and makeup there um, so they could cut, sort of get it done up and then they would do the photo and then there was actually print stations set up so that they could print and, and, and give them the photo sort of right oh, there wow. on site. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so everything yeah. just happens and you're not like, okay, later I got to finish these pictures I took. You just get it get it all done, right, self-contained and move on. That's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, part of the issue too is just sometimes it might not be possible to, to find some of these people after the fact. You know, some of them may not have an address that you can send them a photo to. You know, their address might be, you know, change from day to day. So the idea is to try to do it right, you know, right then and there. Obviously, pe- you know, people around the world are going to be doing it in, in different ways, but that's sort of how we're organizing things here in, in Edmonton. And there'll be actually three different locations where people will be able to go and uh, get their portrait taken. And Very cool. All right. Awesome. That's the pick of the week from Bruce, helpportrait.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Ron Brinkman, what is your pick? So... Uh, there's an app out there, an iPhone app, that I've played with just a little bit, but I wanted to make people aware of it. Uh, it's called Geolog Tag, uh, and it goes back to a conversation we had at some point in the past, or maybe a couple times on the show, uh, of geotagging your photos, and particularly if you've got a, a camera that doesn't have a built-in GPS, uh, as most of our DSLRs still don't. Uh, but this is a kind of an interesting little app that basically uses the iPhone's GPS to keep a track of what's going on, uh, you know, your GPS position. But then it includes a lot of functionality. The, the easiest and sort of most basic use case is uh, once you get back from your trip, you toss all of your photos into a folder, and then on your iPhone, you uh, point to that folder and uh, using, you know, using some file sharing stuff. And it just goes through and takes all the data from the timestamp of the GPS track that you had on your phone and adds that to all the photos that are in that folder on your Mac. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, basically similar to some of those other GPS data loggers that you could buy, uh, but it's just it just runs as an iPhone application. It's got a lot of other features to it. You can also uh, use that data to go back and uh, tag photos that you've uploaded to Flickr. Um, you can import it into Aperture and use it to tag through that. So it seems like a pretty interesting solution. Um, the only reason why I can't really talk super in-depth about it is I haven't tried it in the field yet. I just sort of did a quick test on it. But uh, it, it seems to be pretty well put together. The interface is nice and, and pretty straightforward. Uh, and I know the guy that uh, put it together is a listener of TWIP as well. He made me aware of it. Uh, but it seems like a good, solid app. So I'm definitely happy to point people to it. So, again, it's 
geolog tag, G-E-O-L-O-G-T-A-G. Just Google that, and you'll find it uh, in the iTunes store. Very cool. All right. And my pick of the week is a piece of software that I just downloaded. I have not played with it yet, but I'm going to play with it. And if it does what they say it does on the website, everybody that's listening, everyone within the sound of my voice, you should be playing with this. Um, it is called InFocus, I-N-F-O-C-U-S, and it's from Topaz Labs. So you can get to it by going to topazlabs.com slash InFocus. Um, and essentially what this thing is, it kind of looks like magic. So, um, I need to try it out. Uh, it takes out of focus images and makes them really sharp. Um, and looking at some of the before and afters on the Topaz lab site, if it can do again, if it can do what, what I'm seeing it do, it's doing in these before and afters, this is, this is crazy. It can bring out detail. (laughs) Did you buy it already? You bought it? Bought it. Just doing it now. (laughs) Did you see? Did you see these before and afters? It's insane. Wow. Yeah, it's like some magical version of Unsharp Mask with a little, you know, stardust and some black hole juice, and and it pulls out detail in soft photos and makes them look like they were shot in focus. I mean, this is um, again. I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to play with it. Are you looking at these, Ron? Did you see the the before and afters? No, I'm just. Uh, you're gonna. Going to yep. You're gonna have to go check it out. Go check this out. We're, we'll definitely put a link over to it in the uh, in the notes. And I would uh, again, I'll I'll follow up on the blog somehow with some before and afters of my own, and we'll see <laughs> we'll see if it actually does this. But if it does, this is uh, this will change things a little bit in terms of rescuing photos that you absolutely a perfect photo that would have been great if it was just a little bit sharper yeah. now, now you can make it sharper so cool. yeah i've used some of the topaz labs uh, other products that they have i discovered them a couple of years ago, ago at uh, photoshop world and uh, really like their uh, really like their other products but i hadn't heard of this one before so yeah it just came out like, i just got an email from the topaz lab folks because i'm i guess i'm on a press list of some of some sort for some of this stuff and uh, they were just giving me a heads up that it was out, and it was a very simple email. They weren't like, "Oh, go pump this," or "Let's get you." They were like, yeah. "You need to go check this out real quick. Tell us what you think." You know, so I did, and I was like, "Oh, uh, really?" <laughs> so, yeah, definitely check it out. Topaz also does some other products. You'll see it on the website, but like some HDR software that does uh, some pretty cool things. I know Trey Radcliffe is a fan of of Topaz as well, so yeah. definitely check it, check it out. Yeah, their denoise product is really good for noise uh, noise reduction. Oh, yeah. Is it better than what's what's native in Lightroom? Um, it, yeah. It, you know, the Lightroom obviously is uh, really up the game with Lightroom three. I think it's a lot better. So I'm not using it as you know as much as I was before Lightroom three. But uh, for those that maybe aren't Lightroom users or that don't have Lightroom three, uh, they might want to check out. Uh, check out that uh, denoise product as well, and then all their stuff I find is really reasonably priced too. Like even this this in focus product's only thirty bucks. Yeah, which is like out, yeah, so. it's, which is like really <laughs> again, yeah. you know. So I don't know. I got I got to check it out. I sure. remain cautiously optimistic about this product and more to follow. So if, again, if it does what it says, I'll be a happy camper. Not that everything I shoot is out of focus, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> this show cost me a lot of money. I bought your recommendation from a few weeks ago, Ron, the uh, Total Finder. Oh, uh, yeah. The, yep. the back. Great, great little app. I'm using that as well, Ron. I, I played with it for two days in the demo mode and then bought it. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing. It's just like, uh, yeah, okay, I'm buying this. <laughs> yep. Total Finder. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're at the end of the show, guys. 
Very good. Bruce, where are you at online? Where can people find you and see some of your work and all that good stuff? Sure. Um, If they want, they can uh, head on over to my blog, which is at uh, momentsindigital.com slash blog. And, of course, my website is momentsindigital.com. And I'm on the Twitters as uh, all one word, just Bruce Clark, and that's Clark with an E, so C-L-A-R-K-E. Awesome. And Mr. Brinkman, where are you at? Do you still have that Cobb website, or have you actually posted something on it recently yeah, it's been a while since i put anything on the blog so just <laughs> come find me on twitter ron brinkman i can't talk i haven't updated my blog in a while either so yeah i, I need hard. to put something up there um cool all right and just a quick note before we close the show off uh, a couple weeks ago and i put a blog post up with a video announcing the winners of those canon and nikon mugs that we talked about way back in twip 166 i think it was yeah uh, yeah so there's a blog post up that announces the winners with a video of me showing the showing the uh the, the mug and all that stuff but uh just to reiterate who those winners are in case they didn't see that blog post they are mike f4 and that's his name in the this week in photo forums and marty skitch they respectively i think uh won the uh the nikon and the canon mug so the other piece of news on that is I had a great conversation with my buddy over at photo jojo amit gupta and he has agreed to to uh, uh give away a prize from the from the photo jojo store as a this week in photo gift so when we run our contests you'll see the prizes coming from their store, which and they have all this cool kind of wacky photography stuff over there. So definitely head over there to, I think it's just photojojo.com slash store. And you'll see some of the stuff that we'll be giving away soon on this week in photo. All right. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson. You can check out my blog at frederickvan.com, which I'll update, I promise. Or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.